We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aitlin is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen! Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Billy Marshall, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, John Ellis. John, what's going on? Oh, not much, my friend. Happy Christmas uh, week to you, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about in Panthers land, for sure. Yeah, it was an interesting <laughs> game against the Buffalo Bills. Um, started out really rough for the Panthers because Zane Gonzalez was <clears throat> injured himself in warm-ups, and it did not seem like they were prepared for that. They didn't have a suitable replacement, which I'm not sure if it's understandable or not. I mean... I think they probably deserve a pass for that. It's a little unlucky that it happened. Um, But I think there were just a lot of other things that transpired during this game that were um, a little more concerning. So what are your thoughts um, just overall on the game, the performance, and your general impressions? Yeah, Billy, I, I think you're spot on. It was a game that uh, I think we handicapped as a challenge for Carolina coming in. The Bills obviously were in dire need of a win to stay pace with not only New England, but in that wild card race in the AFC. So that was that. I, the Gonzalez injury was just a microcosm of what this franchise has been facing here for the past two years. I mean, it, it's nothing I could sit here and blame Matt Rule for. These things happen. Obviously, Lachlan Edwards is not a pure kicker. He's an Australian rules guy, and that was not going to work. So some of the visuals you put out pregame were <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Guys were doing everything they could between Brandon Zilstra, P.J. Walker, uh, several others, Reggie Bonifant, who they finally activated. Uh, they were trying to find a kicker. At the end of the day, I don't know if it made a huge difference, although you know Newton had them in – the red zone a couple of times or near the red zone, at least in the green zone where you can foresee a potential kick. I mean, this was a 14 and a half spread, if I'm not mistaken. Carolina almost covered it. Um, 
at the end of the day, it's not a game that surprises me. It's just, again, this offensive line against a Buffalo team that does get pressure, that does things creatively to get pressure. It seems to me the secret sauce, I don't know if it's so much secret, it's just something we saw Brian Flores do a lot of, not only the zero blitz, but the edge pressure from the defensive backs, the safeties in particular, seems to be something that's giving Carolina fits in terms of understanding how to scheme against that pressure-wise. Newton averaged just over four yards of completion. That's not going to get it done. Uh, but again, when you don't have time, you know, Matt Rule made a big point. We'll talk about Matt here shortly because he did go out of his way to make some what I thought were premature comments once again right after the game without looking at the tape. One thing Matt talked about was the lack of explosive plays. One thing he didn't mention in that was the lack of protection. You have to allow these routes to develop to get the explosive plays. There's obviously not going to be too many in the run game without McCaffrey there. So again, 31-14 is a game. They were well within range at one point. They brought it to one possession there with the turnover and then the Newton touchdown. So again, there were some bright spots. Again, I didn't think the defense played terribly. You look at 312 total yards, they did get gassed for a couple of runs there, one by Allen. Uh, but I thought they did a pretty good job overall against Singletary, 22 for 86. That's not terrible. Uh, they did a pretty good job against Diggs overall. He only had four catches on seven targets for 35 yards, did get the touchdown. But again, it's a Buffalo team on the road without a kicker for Carolina. Uh, pretty predictable outcome, I would say. Yeah, it was predictable, I would say as well. Um I'm not sure a kicker would have made too much of a difference because in a game like this where well, Buffalo put up 30 points, I I just feel like going for and fourth down and trying to score touchdowns on every possession you get inside their territory is um, the more sound strategy. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen, but I mean, the game might have been closer like if you know it was 31-20, I guess, but... Uh, but still, that's uh, that's the name of the game. Uh, I mean, offensively, it just again the the passing game is just a complete mess right now. Um, it, it's a collective effort, uh, whether it's you know the quarterback missing throws or whether it's the uh, you know receivers not getting open. Um, and obviously, I think the key culprit, the offensive line, just not doing a very good enough job against this front. Uh, you know, again, th- this was sort of the issue when they fired Joe Brady is. I mean, you can't just keep looking for scapegoats. This is a bigger issue than people want to admit. It's not a play caller issue. It's not a quarterback issue. It's not a simply an offensive line issue or a receivers issue. It's a collective failure and it's a problem all across the offense. So uh, I think it was pretty well summarized by that fourth and one play where there's a lot of controversy. I mean, I, I don't know what the heck happened there. Um, I mean, the throw was just abysmal to begin with. Uh, secondly, it was even if he threw it accurately, it was blown up at that point. And then thirdly, they're doing a really good job running the ball. And you want to throw a bubble screen in that scenario? So just what are your, uh, you know, give me your kind of take on not only that play, but just the passing offense as a whole. Well, the, the passing offense, let, let's start there because that, that particular play has some elements behind it that extend beyond what happened on the field. And I want to get to that because that goes back to messaging from the guy at the very top, which is Matt Rule. Um, yeah, you know, the, the passing game right now, look, you have a quarterback in Cam Newton who is coming basically right off the bench here. And the expectations were off the charts in terms of the fans. Look, I get it. 
It was exciting. Uh, he came into that uh, game coached by Joe Brady, by the way, against the Cardinals, and they did some nice creative things to mix him in to the offense. They sprinkled in a nice sprint right option. Uh, he had a nice throw to Robbie there in that game, a nice uh, quarterback power to the right, got a touchdown. So, again, uh, some positive things early. Newton has had a rushing touchdown in each of these games, which is ideally what they brought him here for was, uh, you know, Matt Rule talks about wanting to be a power-running team. Well, you know, you want to criticize the quarterback right after a game, yet you don't mind running him 15, 16 times and, and using his ability in that regard to, you know, beef up those run stats and to beef up what you would consider to be the winning formula which I get, I understand you want to take the air out of the ball if you don't feel confident in your pass game. I just think it comes back to a couple things. Number one, the, the incompetency at the quarterback position. I'll even give Newton some blame here for this because there have been some reads and throws he has missed on some deep stuff. I mean, it's not been perfect. Uh, the same can be said for every other quarterback that's played here under Matt Rule, Sam Darnold. We looked at the tape against New York, Billy, the same stuff. He missed several opportunities there and had an awful game. Uh, P.J. Walker, I don't see him being the answer. They did not platoon the quarterbacks, which, you know, again, that's <laughs> whatever. Uh, do what you want there, Matt. It's not my business, not my call. But uh, he chose not to. I'd be surprised if they didn't try that again at some point. Um, and, again, you know, Robbie and D.J. Are, are guys that you need to get vertically involved in this passing game. I, I just look back at of all the issues they have right now, and to be fair to Sam and to be fair to others who have been here, Teddy, uh, you know, I think at times it really has to do with the lack of protection. You have Cam Irving out there still at left tackle who was their day one pick in terms of free agency. They gave him some pretty good money, and they haven't wavered from that. And he was an absolute turnstile in this game. It was one of the worst games he's had all year. And that's saying something. Uh, the rest of the line, I guess they played okay at times. I, I didn't see a lot of great things from Mike Jordan. Uh, Elf line was decent. Um, Moten was pretty good on that right side. Uh, but again, you have to protect to be able to get vertical. And uh, Newton, once again, does a lot of good things. I, I still think there's a future for him in this league in some capacity. But I think those skills have diminished a bit. I, I'll be very clear about that. Can we make a, a broad judgment on who he is and what he is moving forward. I, I just don't think there's a big enough sample size since this year started to make that judgment. But the bigger picture here is, is messaging. And Matt Rule, right after the game, and he seems to be doing this to Newton more than anybody, which, again, if you're a Newton stan or not, I don't really care. I'm just looking at this from a guy who's beloved in that locker room a guy who is your quarterback, you know, you want to complain about, you know, Cam, Cam, Cam. Well, don't start the guy, obviously, if he's that bad. But right after the game, the fourth and one call. This is a scoreless game, Billy. It's a big play at midfield early in the game. Uh, they run kind of a quad option almost. They, there's four different options Newton has on that, from my understanding. You can go bubble. You can hand it off to Abdullah. You can find Thomas in the flat, who is open, by the way. Or you can keep it as the quarterback. There's way too moving parts for a one-yard play, Billy, to your point. You've got one of the best short yardage running backs as a quarterback in Cam Newton. That's your best bet right there. Either that or line up like they used to with Shula and even Norv and go just, you know, heavy 23 personnel, get some tight ends on the field and sell it on a boot and get Newton out in space or maybe do a leak play where the tight end comes across. It's just a very predictable type of play. And 
Matt Rule right after the game, quote, it wasn't done right. It wasn't executed. I mean, I can sit here and say why. He saw the blitz guy, meaning Cam. You can throw the bubble off the blitz, but we have that guy blocked. It should be handed off. And, of course, that guy was number 24, the defensive back for the Buffalo Bills. Um, I put out some tape right after the game because I saw it live, and, I, you know, the throw was bad. I get it. But I think, you know, if Newton throws that thing on target, it's intercepted. So perhaps he's looking just to save face there and throw it out of bounds because he knows the play is ditched. Um, Rule came back the next day when, when John Alexander asked him about it and said he had a better understanding of Cam's thought process after looking at the tape. Because, again, if you look, Matt Rule right after the game, it said he needs to hand the ball off. He was very clear about that to Amir Abdullah. And Abdullah would have been stuffed by 24 right in the backfield. And th this is, again, the guy that Matt said right after the game was blocked. He was totally unblocked. So I'm glad that, you know, Matt at least came back out after myself and others on Twitter grabbed the tape, looked at it, and said, you know, we're not trying to make an ass out of anybody here, but you're right after the game, and this is almost unheard of, Billy. This is a couple weeks in a row where you're just coming right after the game, maybe 11, 12 minutes after the game finishes, and you're making these bold statements about specific players and specific things that happen. Most coaches who are successful – Go with the standard line. We got to look at the tape. You know, a lot of elements to this game we got to get better at. We've got to look at the tape. If this was Sam, if this was PJ, I'd had the same reaction, Billy. This is not being being a cam stand here. This is just about incompetency, and it's a bad call. He he defended Jeff Nixon while he placed the blame on the quarterback after the game, and then he came back yesterday and defended Newton while saying, you know, Jeff maybe would have had that one back if he could choose. So. Just mixed messaging once again. It was a bad call. And again, to your larger point, vertically this offense cannot get it done, and they have vertical guys that can get it done on the perimeter. It's very discombobulated right now, and firing Joe Brady was never the answer. I, I will say this isn't something new, John. I mean, last year he called out Teddy Bridgewater multiple times, which I thought, again, whatever you feel about Teddy, uh, that was uncalled for. And I think we mentioned it here on the podcast as well that – um, why would you want to why, why are you going to call him out no matter how you feel about him so this isn't necessarily new I, I will agree with you that he's much more protective of uh, Darnold's than he is of Newton and potentially Bridgewater um, but this is you know something he's been doing already it, it's nothing new I guess right right um, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's nothing new. We, we saw last year as Teddy got hurt, there, there were some sort of excuses made after the Tampa game where he hurt his knee that, you know, Teddy's dealing with some stuff. But by the end of the year, Billy, you're right. You know, after I think the – Well, I mean, he called them out on national TV, like, you know, during that Packers game. I, I mean, again, I'm not – it's the same thing with Cam. Like, I'm not excusing what Teddy did on that QB sneak where he's reaching over the top, but there's just no reason for him to tell – I don't know who he was telling Melissa Stark or whoever it was on the right. sideline that it was that, that that you teach them that every day in practice and he's not supposed to be doing that. Like, fair enough, it, it's a bad play that Bridgewater made, but there's no need to like vent towards um, you know a sideline reporter where they can you know the entire country is watching, and it's the same thing here. There's no reason to call out single players about a play that wasn't executed properly. Um, I just think like it's again, messaging something that we've been getting on with him. It's not great. Um, and I don't know right now. I'm just, 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've, I was obviously annoyed about the messaging issues uh, for a while, and I still am. Uh, but right now, it's just gotten to the point of like a little bit of apathy because of how they're playing. And if they were playing a little better and they were competitive, like I could probably swallow my pride with the messaging issues. Uh, but they're just, not, they're just not playing well. And again, I, I agree with you. I think that I want to th- believe that it that Newton is gonna, you know, might be better if he was here earlier in the off season, and you know, things might have been a little more stable. But uh, I mean, right now he's not playing well. It's it's just, uh, but I don't believe he's being put in the best position to succeed either. So it, it's just everything, man. It's it's everything, and it's it's very uh, disheartening to watch because I'm not sure where you go from here and I don't I don't know like is Jeff Nixon like the long-term answer at OC like are they gonna go look to hire another one I, it's <laughs> I don't know it's it's pretty well, bleak I think to your point that that's the bigger picture we need to look at Newton I think could be playing his last game at Bank of America Stadium on Sunday I really do he's not under contract um and again, whether I believe he has juice left in the tank or not, obviously his legs are a great asset, but they, they could do better in terms of finding right. somebody competent-wise in the passing game. The problem is mm-hmm. when, when you are down, and again, we, we've seen coaches in this position, Ron Rivera, John Fox uh, come to mind, where, where your team is struggling in year one or year two and you're not playing your best ball. But, but again, with, with this coach, I still see tremendous effort. It's not really an effort issue across the board. It's just right. it's, it's discombobulated. They're just not schematically where they need to be offensively at all to compete. Uh, talent-wise as well, in terms of the offensive line, I can't say it enough. They, they don't have that. They don't have a viable threat at tight end. I like what Trimble's doing. He's coming along well. Uh, they don't have anybody who can really damage the field defensively up the seam or challenge you to, to give you. And if they do, they're not utilizing it to their best. If, if Mad Rule stays true to what he said, you know, he made a very pointed comment again about Brady when he fired him and said, I went out of my comfort zone. So that seems to suggest, again, you can read the tea leaves on this, but, but what is your comfort zone? Obviously, it's Jeff Nixon right now. And I, if he comes back, I wouldn't rule that out. But I, I also wouldn't rule this out, Billy, that, you know, Tepper – you would hope put some caveats into that return to say, look, I'm going to let, you know, Dan and, and Scott Fitterer and some others in the building as well as myself have some input on how we go offensively moving forward. And you're going to have to make a change there that might be out of your comfort zone. Because I think if you let him, if you leave him to his devices, no, no offense to Jeff Nixon. He's a very qualified backs coach. He's a good offensive assistant, but he's not an NFL play caller. And he's being thrusted into this position it's never a good situation when that happens. Um, so, yeah, I think if Matt comes back, which I, I would say is 50-50 right about now, just based on what I hear and my gut feeling on it, uh, he would probably have to give a little bit. Uh, he'd almost have to, Billy. And whether it's, you know, finding somebody, I don't know if it's like a Jim Caldwell or, or somebody else that might be interested in being, you know, a veteran OC type that can come in and stabilize things. You have Sam Darnold on a contract, and it's not, an, it's not a small number. Um, none of these other yeah. guys are under contract. They've got to figure out the QB position. The draft doesn't near necessarily give you that sexy option right now in that first round. 
And honestly, uh, I'm, I'm done trying to project quarterbacks. I mean, <laughs> that's right. Everyone said Mac Jones would be a bust, and look how well he's doing. That's true. And I mentioned that on my Fox Sports show yesterday to my partner in Richmond. I said, you know what? We can talk all day about not having you know viable guys in the first round now, but nobody was really talking about some of these guys last year this time, and it's worked out okay for some of them. Uh, I just think they've, they've got to shore up this offensive line. I suppose they'll use free agency with their cap room to do that because doing it in the draft doesn't seem to interest them. And they drafted two guys in the first six rounds. None of them are playing any football. The one guy who is, is playing out of position. Uh, I, I just come back to Brady Christensen once again. Whatever you think about his game, Cam Newton, and I would say any quarterback on this team, probably had their cleanest day in terms of staying upright with Brady Christensen at left tackle. Now, in the Giants game, I understand it wasn't great, but he came back against Washington and looked very competent. So, again, the idea now, Billy, to me, what, what defines success has already kind of come and gone. It's, it's not been a successful year. But what you can do if you're the coach now is take these young guys you've drafted and mm-hmm. get them into the lineup and see what you have for next year. Ron did that at times, uh, especially late in 2014 when he went with Norwell and Remmers, and it seemed to work. Uh, Foxy did this at times. This is just what you do in the National Football League when you're playing out the string. You find younger guys, you see what they have. To the point where I think, obviously, you know, people will argue with this, and I I don't disagree with them. But I think Sam Darnold's going to be back in this lineup soon, Billy. They've got to evaluate. I think Matt at least thinks, hey, look, I was a big part of this trade. I've got to show my owner I didn't, you know, crap the bet on this one. So I would expect Sam back really soon in the lineup. Uh, if it happens this week, which is their last home game, I think it might be a, a pretty bad taste for fans. But again, Matt's coaching for his job here, and he feels like uh, Darnold is the guy to come back in. Uh, he's going to do it. I have no doubt. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I really don't see anything. I really don't care who's playing quarterback at this point. I mean, they're just you know playing out the string here. It just seems like – you know, the season is lost uh, no matter which way you put it because they're not even being competitive in these games, let's be honest. I mean, even the Falcons game, they um, you know, scored that garbage time TD and make it a one-possession game, but it, it wasn't competitive for a decent amount of it. Um, and, I mean, these next three games, especially two against Tampa who just got shut out at home, um, I mean, they're – I mean, they have to win on Sunday to win the division, so they're going to be – uh, pretty amped up, yeah. And uh, then you have to go to New Orleans, and they seem to be also back in the playoff mix. And who knows? So defensively, I thought they did some pretty interesting things. That interception by Chin was pretty awesome. Um, yes, you know, they they pressured Allen, uh, they pressured Josh Allen pretty well, it kept him in the pocket. Uh, um, but uh, but obviously Allen's a you know, terrific quarterback. So you know, you, you saw some of his connections and. You know, credit to Buffalo. Uh, you know, one thing that they've been criticized for is their inability to run the ball. And despite not running the ball very effectively, um, that still allowed them to open up other parts of their game, such as play action. And they were able to take advantage of it. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like the defense, they had a pretty solid game. Nothing too spectacular, I guess. It, it was certainly an improvement over Atlanta. Again, forcing the turnover, sacks. Um, but at the end of the day, you're facing a very uh, explosive offense. So giving up points was not, uh, was pretty expected. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, 31 points given up there, that, that's not 
their standard, and I get that. You know, 14 of those were in the second half. They had them at 17 at halftime there. But again, I think you just look at how they scored in terms of the, the drives there. And, you know, you talk about the, the pass to Davis from Allen there that made it 23-8. That was an exceptional play by Allen. And that's just what you get with, with Allen. And, you, you know, you had Melvin, I think, in coverage who got the majority of snaps over Taylor. Don't quite understand what the thinking was there because Taylor's played some good ball down the stretch here. Um, so that puts them at 24-8. to And at that point, the game was 17-8, very much in reach. Uh, and then again, you know, late in the game, uh, at that point with two and a half minutes left, that's obviously just a matter of the, the Panthers defense selling out and a good job by uh, Brian Dayball calling a play that would exploit that. So that was a nine-play, four-minute drive that made it 31-14 and put the game completely out of reach there. So on the whole, I agree with you. Defensively, I can't complain too much, and I say this every week. There's things you can always look at with this defense and say, you know what, they can do better. There's things they can do better. You can nitpick all day long, and it's not perfect. But where they came from last year, Billy, um, I think Phil Snow deserves a lot of credit in terms of getting things competitive on that side of the ball. Uh, you can look at total rankings versus like DVOA, and there's a difference there. Carolina's not in the top five in that category. But in terms of some of the total core metrics, they, they are where they need to be right now. Uh, third downs are not great. Uh, so that's usually a problem. Buffalo was 6 of 14 in this game. Carolina was 7 of 17, by the way. It's just the fourth down, 1 of 5. I mean, that's kind of what, what hurt them in the end offensively, along with a few other things. Um, but, yeah, you know, the good pressure, like Yater Grossmato's got the snaps because of Derek Brown's absence. I thought he looked great. They played him at three technique. This is something we've talked about before. Get him inside on passing downs. He's got great versatility, two and a half sacks. Uh, Burns, you got to do better. Uh, I, I like Brian. But there's some plays there that he's got to be able to wrap up on and finish. Uh, good pressure. But, again, the week before, they did a good job with, you know, Atlanta in terms of what they did. Uh, Arthur Smith getting uh, the, the running back. He escaped and played here last year. Mike Davis sort of shadowing Burns a little bit and popping him on these plays and chipping him. And it took him out of his element. I thought Brian had a great game against Miami. And I thought he had a pretty fair game here. But you can't, you know, even if he's 6'6", 250. You can't let quarterbacks slip out of your grasp. You got to take better angles, but he did have an impact in the game. Reddick did some good things in terms of pressure. So the pressure's there. Um, coverage wise, you know, some things there that Gilmore probably would like to have back. <laughs> but um, once again, it's not easy. Buffalo does have weapons. Uh, Diggs is not an easy guy to cover. It just, you know, again, you spend money and capital on Diggs, uh, not on Diggs, but on Gilmore in terms of a trade. And you do the same with Newton. And, and since you bring in these veterans, they, they've pretty much gone winless. And it's somewhat frustrating in terms of, okay, now we're not only charging ourselves against the cap this year, which doesn't matter so much, but giving away assets for future years. And this is no knock on Gilmore. I think he's superb. Um, it's just a bigger picture issue on team building here, Billy, in terms of year two. They got a sniff of it. They were in a playoff race with an expanded playoff field. And Fitterer mentioned the playoff board when they brought in Gilmore, and since then it's been a disaster. So I, I can't really blame the defense as much as the offense. I won't, but it, they're not without flaws. They got to be better. Uh, to hold Josh Allen to 19 to 34 for 210, obviously he had a trio of touchdowns. He ran the ball fairly well, but uh, he wasn't as efficient um, as maybe he would be otherwise. So again, I give the defense a lot of credit for hanging in there. Kind of reminded me of that Green Bay game last year, Billy, against Aaron Rodgers. You know, Rodgers wasn't his best self. He's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. 
Carolina came in and held them down to a pretty substantial uh, passing yardage number under 200 yards. And same thing here. It's just a matter of complimentary football is not there. When you have no kicker, that sucks. <laughs> Obviously, they can't help that. But when you have no protection consistently, uh, Ben Baldwin posted a stat, Billy, earlier. It's one of his charts he puts out in terms of uh, run block win rate versus uh, EPA for carries. And Chuba Hubbard is near the bottom of the league. McCaffrey was in that bottom quadrant. So, again, that speaks to just poor blocking across the board. Running, passing, the ability to, uh, you know, bust the long ones there in the running game is gone with McCaffrey out. It's just a mess right now, Bill. Yeah, it is. You know, I've been I've been hearing some stuff, listening to different podcasts. I'm not going to name specific people or individuals, but there seems to be a lot of um, how do I say this? There just seems to be a lot of people not paying attention to what's been happening within this organization for the past few months. I think the only national guy, and I say this as a compliment, so I will name him, has been Doug Farrar. Yep. And he seems, to, and Mike Florio, I should give him credit, he seems to say that Tepper's on the hot seat, but everywhere else. Um, I've been listening, and then, you know, some people are blaming you know, Tepper for certain decisions. They, they're saying that Tepper is impulsive, which I've never, I don't have evidence that suggests that. I mean, he kept Barney Herney on for longer than he should have. He kept Ron Rivera on for another year. Right. Um, so th- there seems to be like a groundswell of like support within the media for Matt Rule uh, and him potentially getting a third year. Again, I'm not going to lie to anyone. I don't have any sources to indicate that he will or he won't. I have nothing. My own feelings don't matter in this situation. It's how the owner feels. Okay. And I have no idea how he feels about um, this head coach and where they're going. Okay. That's just the reality of it. But I like to collect information and like to listen to different national podcasts uh, to get an idea of how they think. And so I was listening to one Sunday night, Monday morning, I should say, and it, they just seem to be placing a lot of the blame on the owner. Um, and that, that just seemed a little off base because they, they thought that Matt Rule is a good coach and all this other stuff. And again, maybe he is, but I haven't certain, I have not seen any evidence to suggest that he, he is a good coach and uh, that he certainly knows how to run an NFL organization, uh, especially given the amount of power he has with the personnel. So I know we don't, I mean, we're going to do this every week because they're not winning. And again, I haven't heard anything to indicate otherwise, but the job status of Matt rule, it seems to be pretty safe. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be fired, but regardless of whether he's fired or not, it just seems like the, the messaging from the national media outside of a couple individuals seems to be that he's doing a good job. And that just, that, that's just not true. Yeah. You know, the, the local media too, I would say this, that, you know, that you, you have to tread carefully when you're on the beat. And I get that you can't, you know, go in guns blazes on a guy you got to go talk to every day face to face. But there is a point where I think the best of the best that do it are able to confront him. Like, you know, John Alexander, who I love, by the way, from The Observer, was the first to ask him on sort of the, the fourth and one call. Why did you, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, why would you call Newton out when obviously you were wrong on the film? And, and it prompted Matt to make a correction. Um, those are things I like to see. I was on with our friends, uh, 
Mac and Bone, uh, Chris McLean and, and Travis Hancock on WFNZ last week, and they were very direct about the, this messaging thing with Matt, and they weren't calling for his job. But again, they, they were sort of on the same page as us, so that, you know what, this is just something that can't happen. Uh, you're right about Florio. Uh, he was very detailed in terms of some of the struggles with, with Matt Rule and how that might not get him to the finish line here. And Doug Farrar wrote a great piece last night talking about four different coaches who could see early Black Mondays. And again, you can find that at touchdownwire.usatoday.com or at Doug Farrar NFL. Um, David Culley was on this list. Joe Judge was on this list, who was, by the way, hired the same year as Matt Rule. And I'm just going to quote Farrar here, who we've had on our show, by the way, you and I, and he's a, a really well-educated, very well-read guy when it comes to NFL processes. He knows Scott Fitterer from his time in Seattle. And this is what uh, Farrar writes. Rules should probably send Urban Meyer a nice floral arrangement. Were it not for Meyer's historically awful missteps, we'd be talking a lot about more, more about how Matt Rule has mangled things with the Panthers and proven to be more in over his head as a longtime coach with very little NFL experience. Like Judge, Rule was handled with a, handed a weird quarterback situation, and he made it weirder. Like Judge, he blamed his offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, for these issues, fired that coordinator, and saw no improvement after that move. And like Judge, he has a 10-20 and 20 record after nearly two seasons at the head of things. And he goes on to write more about uh, sort of the two-quarterback system commitment and all that. And I think Doug's spot on. I think I, you, you will see more of this come to light. Again, I think the big story was Urban Meyer. That sort of overshadowed everything. But, but Matt's got a lot of work to do here, Billy. And it's not just the fact that he's losing. It's the trends after Thanksgiving. It's the processes that don't seem to be connecting with his players. It's the personnel moves that he either spearheaded or signed off on. And it's the in-game mismanagement of timeouts, the in-game mismanagement of personnel, the inability to get guys like Terrace Marshall and Shai Smith on the field when you have Willie Sneed out there for one snap uh, in the game. Things like that that I look at. The offensive line, continuing to talk about the arm length of the tackle you drafted from BYU and why that is the culprit for him not playing his natural position. Things like that do add up. Now, can I say he's lost the locker room? No, I cannot. I don't know that. Can I say that he's going to get fired? I have no sources like you said to, to suggest that that's on the cusp what's going to happen. But, man, I'm telling you, I, as non-impulsive as we think Tepper is, we've talked to Joe Person about this. And Joe did say back, I think, January with you and I on the podcast that, you know, look, David Tepper's talked about patience and, and extended, you know, building here but if it gets around a year two the end of it and things aren't really connecting don't be surprised if they maybe look to make a move and I think they're at that point now this is not an easy stretch they've got two against Tampa one against New Orleans I don't see wins there anywhere I do think the defense can do some damage against all three teams uh, especially with some of the injuries Tampa has but I just don't know offensively what they're going to do against those fronts I, I don't see any room for wiggle room at all so it might get ugly offensively the next few games. Uh, he's got a lot to answer to here. And I think if they do bring him back, which could happen, this offensive coordinator position and how they tackle the offensive line, maybe even in terms of they don't have the right staff on offense. They need to beef up their staff. It's a really bad staff really, in terms of NFL standards. Wait, sorry, you, you think this staff is an issue? I think offensively they should do some things. Defensively, I'm okay with what they have. Let me ask you this. 
okay, I mean, let's just say that he returns for a third year. Um, obviously, I know the owner has appealed because he has money. I know all the other reasons why someone would want to join an NFL organization. However, if you're a position coach, why would you want to join this organization? <laughs> I mean, you're going to be on the hot seat next year. Yep. There's no, like, I mean, you might as well just rent out some hotel, like, you know, somewhere in Uptown because, I mean, there's no, you know, scenario that, you know, your job is not going to be in jeopardy because Matt Rule's job, whether it's, if he's not getting fired this year, then next year he has to win games. And it's, this just gets back to a lot of their decision-making and, you know, how they've approached, uh, you know, the entire season. I was really sort of optimistic after the draft and even into the the summer we both were. Uh, because of, you know, how, you know, for sure. And just because of how they were able to conduct uh, their business. Well, well, after that three, that three game winning streak uh, to start the year, I just feel like it, I'm not saying it's the worst thing to ever happen to them, but like once they made that trade for CJ Henderson, it just, it, it screamed extreme. It was just way too premature to be making those type of moves. Right. No, and, I, I agree. You were the one. Uh, whereas I was probably a little more on the positivity side in terms of 3-0 and is never a bad thing. But to your point, it's all about managing expectations. And I think fans and even maybe some in that locker room, including the head coach himself, got a little bit above expectations there in terms of oh, yeah. ahead of them. Um, you and I talked about this on that podcast where C.J. Henderson became a Carolina Panther. I remember it vividly. And you were the one to say, you know, Carolina had a 3-0 stretch last year, and look how that ended. And you were very clear mm-hmm. about that. And you weren't trying to be a Debbie Downer, but it, it turned out to be very true. They had a stretch of games there that they could and should have won. You look at the Eagles game, the Vikings game. Uh, you know, there's others I can go back and look at as well. Giants, for goodness sake. The Joe, yeah, they were never in that one, unfortunately. But that's a game you can't lay an egg in on the road, obviously. And that's a game where... Sam Darnold had one of his worst games ever, and that's saying something. Back in MetLife, by the way, of all places, and Matt Rule after that game had talked about not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings, and he was very delicate with Sam, and has a different piece of messaging for other guys, it seems, on that team. So there, there's some yeah. contradiction there that can, that can easily divide a locker room if you're not careful. I, I just think it's a veteran group right now. It's not necessarily a young team. You have Shaq Thompson. You have guys like Hassan Reddick. Brian Burns is a veteran. DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are veterans. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, who knows what happens there, but he's under contract. There's no getting out of that right now. He's a veteran. Uh, you have, again, you have a veteran group, Stephon Gilmore, who presumably they will want to have back. How, how interested is he now? That's the larger right. You made a great point about staffing, Bill. I'm, I'm not going to say they're terrible. I'm just saying I don't think, you know, Pat Meyer is an upgrade from John Matsko. So let's just start there. I don't think Jeff Nixon is an upgrade from Joe Brady. I don't think either were an upgrade from Scott mm. Turner necessarily or North Turner. And I, I well, like Joe a lot. I think Joe could have done some really good things here had they just stuck the course, but he was made the scapegoat. So you look at that from the outside, from a player's perspective, players talk, Billy. Yeah, who's going to be interested in coming here next year if you don't have a Temple connection like Hassan Reddick? And then who's going to be interested as an assistant coach, to your point, of coming here? And even a larger point, <laughs> if Matt Rule does get fired, then are, they, are there some doubts there from some of the top candidates? I just don't know. 
I, I'm a, I've under the opinion that if you've kind of seen enough trajectory-wise and you get a sense of what a guy's all about and if he can do it in this league, quit wasting time. And I think I've seen enough with Matt Rule. I just have. Now, I'm not trying to be unfair, but I just think I've seen enough. Yeah, no, I, I certainly don't disagree. I think I, – I don't think that – and you know the thing that really irks me is that people are trying to compare this to Ron Rivera, but like Ron Rivera's like 2012 season. First of all, he had a a rookie QB who was, you know, who won Rookie of the Year and who was an ascending player. Right. So that's number one. Okay. Number two, and I think this is the most important thing is Rivera had the thing that you always talk about forward momentum. Remember, they were three and nine. They lost that terrible game terrible 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 game in kansas city and i know kansas city was playing a lot of emotion one of their players that committed suicide or something i don't know what happened i'm not trying to relive that it was a very um, bleak day but then they went on a four game winning streak to end the year and they finished seven and nine and uh, obviously herney he was fired so they you know richardson had to consult I don't know who he was consulting with, Ernie Acorsi, or not Corsi, Ernie Acorsi, yeah. but was it Acorsi? It was Ernie. I believe it was Ernie Acorsi. Yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't care about Richardson's process too much. But again, it. it I remember, like, um, I think it was Mort, uh, Morton said at the time, was reporting that, um, you know, Rivera will probably be coming back. And, you know, when that happened, I was like, okay, whatever. You know what? It was 6 and 10, 7 and 9. It, it, there's still something to, you know, hold your – hat on and uh, you know the the offensive coordinator changed I think because Chudzinski took the Browns head coaching job and so they just promoted Mike Shula so whatever okay I'm, again I'm not complaining I wouldn't have cared either way if they fired River but there was justification for keeping him you don't have a quarterback right now uh, at least a long-term answer you're, you're already down a second and third round pick this upcoming draft you're not winning you're not even competitive in these games so i think there's more justification to firing rule than there was for fire not firing um rivera and so that's just i think the comparisons are completely off the mark in in that regard and and so i just want to like finalize my thoughts on this entire subject um by saying that He has to, I'm not sure what he has to do, but it's, it's not, to me, a lot of the, the talk about finding a franchise quarterback, trading for whatever guy, they just, John, I, they just don't have enough pieces to be able to, and I was listening to something where, again, one of the podcasts I was listening to, people think this is a good roster. It's the defensively, I agree, it's a good roster. Offensively, I mean, I beg to differ. But someone compared it to Tampa Bay, like where, you know, an established veteran quarterback can go in here and they can explode. I just completely disagree with that. We don't have the offensive line that Tampa did, and Tampa obviously they had two like veteran tight ends, Brayton Howard, and they obviously signed Gronkowski. But this is nothing similar to Tampa at all, and we don't have the head coach to attract a quarterback like Brady. We just we don't have the head coach Bruce Arians. He has a lot of success in this league, and he had the relationships uh, to get it done. I mean, he worked in the past with Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck uh, and Carson Palmer. What does Matt Rule have? He has nothing. So I don't see this as a situation where you can go out and trade. And I don't see them trading for Watson. I think that situation has sailed. 
I don't think they have the assets for it. And I don't think that, um, I just, I don't see that happening. It's just my opinion. But because, and, and the reason I don't think it's a smart idea, John, is they just have a lot of areas to clean up on the offensive side of the ball before they can supplement and put a quarterback in this situation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and the draft capital, again, with what they gave up with Darn was going to bite them come draft time. Now, you can talk about Scott Fitter being able to shuffle and move around, but that catches up with you in time. Um, you trade Darnold out uh, for a couple of draft picks. That's not going to help matters moving forward here. Uh, same with C.J. Henderson, unless he really develops into a key cog moving forward. Uh, you've hurt yourselves in round two, three, and four with those trades, and, and that's not something you could ignore here. Um, and again, I just go back to the overall construct of the team here. You talked about talent. It's so imbalanced. I mean, they have what it takes to be playoff competitive defensively. I'll say that. I don't want to go overboard and say, oh, this is a top three defense, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, by some measures they are. But they have enough to be competitive as a playoff team defensively. They have enough. They could be better, but they have enough right now. Offensively, they put their chips on, on the Sam Darnold move. This was not something they did lightly. Uh, they didn't expect him to get hurt, but he did. And how could you not expect that with an offensive line constructed the way they went about it? The whole time right. of the offseason was let's get Taylor Moten under contract. It took to the last minute to get him signed and delivered for this season. And the rest of the line was constructed with two journeymen veterans who had some bad tape billing. We've talked about it with Elfline and Irving. Uh, they banked on John Miller being as good last year on the right side as he was, you know, as he was last year to this year. The COVID issues, I think, hurt him and set him back, but he was never a long-term guy, I don't think, in terms of guard play. They go out and they draft Deontay Brown. They go draft Christensen, and they're just not playing them enough at their true positions or at all to begin with. And by the way, you know, again, I don't want to harp on this, but Trey Smith is looking quite well with Kansas City, drafted in the same round as Deontay Brown. He was medically red flagged by 95% of the league, I'm told. But again, it's working out well for Kansas City. So again, I think at the end of the day, they're just imbalanced, Billy. They have good weapons. They have McCaffrey when he's healthy. That's problematic, though. Anderson is, is still very viable in terms of not only downfield threat, but route running. He's a good route runner. DJ needs some work to do in that department, but he's dynamic with the ball in his hands. I mean, where the heck is Terrace Marshall, though? Where is Terrace Marshall? Exactly. One target against Buffalo. One target, Billy. Shai Smith, who they drafted as well, was deactivated for Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed had one snap all game, and it was the one target that Newton almost had him on there, if not for a little bit of pressure, maybe some holding there. Um, I just don't understand it. You've got so many guys that are young. And promise, and this is the time to be evaluating those guys out of the playoff race. I don't understand why Terrace Marshall has been riding the pine or playing limited snaps or seeing limited targets. It's not a quarterback issue. I mean, look, I, between Newton or P.J., whoever's in there, you know, it's not the fact that Marshall's not getting open. He's just not getting enough action. It's just a completely, like I said, John, like I said in the beginning, the entire offensive operation is broken. It's broken. Yep. And it's going to take an entirely new approach. I'm not sure who will be in charge of that, whether it's a new staff or a new, um, you know, just offensive coordinator or whatever it is. It, it, they have 
to rebuild this offense. It just it's broken. It's it's simply broken, and I'm not sure that you can just simply and and I'm I'm, I'm not going to say I'm happy that this is happening, but I am. Uh, I do think it validates both of our opinions that Joe Brady was not the issue. I think that's right. been ever so clear that uh, just looking at everything in totality, it's it's a broken operation. I'm concerned with everything that's happening on that side of the ball. I'm not going to point fingers at one individual. It's just a collective effort that starts up top, and it starts up top with um, the front office and the head coach picking these players and uh, designing this you know, entire unit. And well, I think it's and obviously they're not doing a good enough job. I think yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. I don't, I, yeah, say, no, just just to finish up. Oh, go ahead, Bill. Wrap up. Yeah, sorry. I just want to finish up. I just think they're not doing a good enough job coaching them either, because uh, there's no reason for a rookie like Terrace Marshall, who has success playing in one of the biggest conferences. He had uh, the metrics to back it up. A lot of film watchers and data analytics guys liked him coming out. So, coaching, develop your players. Exactly, 100%. And, you know, Matt has talked about how long it takes for O-line to develop in terms of young guys. Well, what better time than the present to, to get these young guys in there and see what they have and develop them? Unless you're thinking, you know what, I've got these veterans, I vouch for them, these are my guys, i got to play them to the bitter end because I, I still think they give me, quote, the best chance to win this week. And that's a bad mindset. When you're sitting there at, what, five and nine now with no shot at the playoffs. Um, look, I respect Matt Rule. I think he's a tremendous college coach. He did great work at Temple and Baylor. I think that's where he belongs. I don't think he communicates well with guys on this level. I don't see him necessarily giving Carolina a better chance in year three to be a leap forward organization as he did with Baylor and Temple. I don't see the equivalency there. I never did. So, again, I'm not thrilled that they're struggling, but I am feeling a little bit validated like you that, you know what, the Joe Brady move, I think, really came down to the fact that Matt wanted to do some things offensively that were beneath what Brady thought were successful NFL concepts. And I I just think (laughs) Joe and Matt came to an agreement that, look, this is just not going to work, and Matt made him the scapegoat. And now you bring Jeff Nixon in to run the offense you want. By By the way, Matt Rule's got play charts now on the sidelines. He's got his Sean Payton play sheet. So he's a big part on offense of getting the calls in and making sure that he's running the type of run-centric offense he wants to run. By the way, to that point, uh, they're still passing upwards of 40 times a game because you can't control the tempo with this run game that you want. So I don't mind passing 40 times a game, even with a guy like Newton, even with Darnold. But there has to be some structure and some forward momentum, like I keep saying. Last stat I'll point out here, and then we'll we'll get up out of here and and give you guys something less depressing to think about heading into Christmas here. This is the big difference, and I've seen the narrative, Billy, from even some guys who are credentialed who cover this team, that not not Joe or Nick or our our guys that we trust, but some. You know, oh, give it time. Look, Ron Rivera struggled. They almost fired him into year three. Okay, I got it. Got it. Here's the bottom line. Post-Thanksgiving, first two seasons with the Panthers, John Fox was 10-4. and Ron Rivera was 8-3. and three. By the way, after they fired Marty Herney and promoted Brandon Bean, Rivera had a winning record down the stretch in 2012. So there's just something else to think about. Matt Rule is 1-7 in such games. And on top of that, Ron was given more time because his team played their best down the stretch early in his tenure, Billy, 
and they had positive momentum with one young quarterback. One young quarterback. They were building around a rookie, and it was working. And there was a hiccup there with Chidzinski leaving. I get that. But Shula came in and really developed a system to his strengths. And right now, they're not playing to their players' strengths. They're forcing square pegs into round holes offensively. Phil Snow's operation, I, I don't have too many problems with it. It seems to be completely synchronized at times, the way they're doing things. They know who they are. They have an identity. It doesn't always work. But it's clear they have the personnel to fit the scheme. Here, it's just a hodgepodge. Let's just throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And I think that's the biggest downfall for Matt Rule if he does lose his job. I don't know what he does in the last three weeks to prove me or anybody else out there who doubts his ability in the NFL. I don't know if you went out. Yeah, okay, that would be remarkable if you went out against these three teams. But then you got to reset, and then you need a new OC. Presumably, you're going to need a new quarterback at some point. And do I trust his drug judgment in either of those areas? No, I don't. He was hired before Scott Fitterer, before Dan Morgan, alongside of, uh, what's the other guy's name? Pat Thomas, or Pat uh, Stewart, sorry. So again, Samir Sulban. These are front office guys who are pretty well established and aren't going anywhere. So I have to think at some point, especially like Morgan and, and Fitterer would want to take a look and maybe have their own guy in here. There's a lot of moving parts to it. That's why you get your structure in place before you get your head coach. But that's just where they are, Billy. I don't trust Matt Rule offensively whatsoever to build a winner. I'm just, I don't see it. And he's a big part of what they've done so far, personnel-wise, scheme-wise. And firing people doesn't help, Bill. Yeah, no, I think it's, yeah, for sure. I, I do think that, you know, in the past, uh, especially in after 2018, I was concerned about who was in David Tepper's ear because he doesn't have the experience or the wherewithal to operate an NFL franchise. I feel a little better because I think the front office is, I, I do feel like the front office is smarter. I'm not going to fully blame Scott Fitter for every decision. Of course, anytime you know, a season like this is happening and you make decisions like the one they've made, um, it's it's collective and he certainly deserves uh, his share of criticism. But I feel like, you know, he's been in the NFL for a while. Um, Pat Stewart, Dan Morgan, Samir Suleiman, uh, they've come from winning organizations. So I think he will have smart people advising him. Whether their jobs are at stake or not, I again, I have no reason to believe it is or isn't. I don't know. I don't know what David Tepper is thinking. I just know that the front office, to my mind, can help guide him, uh, you know, more uh, in a more direct path. Because what was that quote? I think it was someone from ESPN mentioning Matt Rules, like, uh, or David Tepper. The reason he fell in love with Matt Rule was because of something about how he dresses or something. I don't know. Did you read that? Yeah. Yes, I've posted this before, and I'll paraphrase it here. The, 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 it was all about, you know, he, he dresses like shit, and he, 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 he's like, he looks like a shit. Okay, I found it. I and, found you know, it. You go ahead and read it, Billy. It, it's awful. So Michelle Steele, uh, she's an ESPN, not sure if she's ESPN, covers, I think, every sport. Uh, but here's a quote. He dresses like shit and sweats all over himself. He dresses like me, so I have to love the guy. I was a short order cook. So he was a short order cook. Nobody gave him anything. Nobody gave me anything. So, yeah, I mean, that's certainly, uh, yeah. that's, yeah, I mean, that's whatever. That's great. That's but great. I, again, at the time when it happened, and that's when I got worried about this being. Well, let's, let, let's just go back a couple, let's go back a couple years ago. 
John. The only people who were advising him were um, Drummond and Herney. And yep. we obviously felt that Herney was way on way in over his head. And Herney's in a better situation now. He doesn't have uh, full autonomy. He's working with uh, General Manager Martin Mayhew, and Montevera has a lot of uh, control in Washington too. So he's in a better setup now, which is how you want Herney to be. And he's a good scout. He'll go out and he'll go to colleges and he'll he knows how to dissect information and really investigate players. And he's, he is your typical football road scout. Okay. This is no disrespect to Marty. That's just what he is. He's not a guy who should be operating in an NFL franchise in the year 2021. But if you want him in your front office, he's a good guy. He's not going to backstab anyone. He's not going to go behind your back and leak things. He's whatever. Okay. But he should not be leading your organization to a head coaching search like he did in 2020. And especially given his job status, as we've come to realize, he was fired a year later. So I feel like Tepper at this point, again, like I said, he has better ears um, to help guide him. Uh, And he, I, again, if he keeps rule, I think, I don't think his ego will allow him to fire him, but it's, you know, it's it's not going to be good. Seven straight losses in the air will not be a, uh, a very great way to move on to 2022. But anything you want to close out with, John? No, I, I guess we could just look quickly to Tampa here. I don't think we'll be doing a preview show on this. It's Christmas week, and, uh, you know, Billy and I have uh, some sanity to keep here during the holiday season. But this Tampa team, obviously, coming off a 9-0 loss to a Dennis Allen-led team with Sean Payton in the protocol. Um, here's my handicap on this game. I think defensively with, with obviously Godwin out, uh, Mike Evans is in doubt that Antonio Brown will be back. Uh, you know, the whole thing about a pissed off Tom Brady coming back, I think there's something to that, but I think Carolina can hang in there defensively in this game. But buddy, I'm telling you with Shaq Barrett, Vitavea and what they have up front, the linebackers on the second level, the secondary getting healthy. I think this could be a really ugly game offensively. And if it's Cam Newton, indeed his last game in the stadium, it's going to be a really awkward send-off, I think. I like Tampa pretty significantly in this game, especially on their defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, no matter who's got QB, Todd Bowles will have things uh, dialed up. Now, I will say Tampa's been a little disappointing on the road this year. Um, but, again, after last week and uh, given how much is at stake for them, they have to – uh, they they got to win this game to win the division. And yep. I, I think they're going to have their full effort. Uh, Antonio Brown is going to be back for them. Uh, yeah, I, I think this will be a, a pretty <laughs> – I think Carolina is like a, an 11-point underdog. So that just tells you everything you need to know. But yep. all right, everyone, uh, make sure everyone, no matter what you're celebrating, have happy holidays this week. You know, John and I will try to get back to uh, next week and do a recap on Tampa and uh, give you – the full breakdown of where this team goes from there. Um, For John Ellis, my name is Billy Marshall. Thank you again for joining us. Have a good day.